Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this is going to be a live audience recording from Chuckanut Brewing in Washington with the brewery founders, Mari and Will Kemper, and their brewing neighbors, Ron Extract and Amber Watts of Garden Path Fermentation. But first, All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we've set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. Check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for more audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice, and you can listen to the shows that are now available, including Beer Travelers with Andy Crouch, the All About Beer podcast with M. Souter and Don Tess, and the Brewer to Brewer podcast, which features a rotating cast and host of professional brewers. We're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. And speaking of that, this episode is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Dragon's Milk began as a single barrel experiment over 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged in bourbon barrels, it has rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla that make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or binging the latest season of Game of Thrones, share a legend with Dragon's Milk today. You can learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. And are you headed to Colorado for the Great American Beer Festival? You should check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting on October 7th. It's an incredible afternoon of beer passion featuring America's top craft breweries pouring rare, exotic, and vintage brews to benefit the Pints for Prostates campaign. This is truly a bucket list event for a great cause where you get to try beers you won't find elsewhere. And you can meet the men and women who brewed them. More information is available at pintsforprostates.org. I've been spending the last week or so in the Pacific Northwest, and this is the first of several shows that I'm going to be bringing you from Washington and Oregon. And it kicks off at Chuckanut, the brewery founded by Mari and Will Kemper. And it's recorded at their facility in Burlington, Washington, which is just south of Bellingham, a town where they long operated a pub and restaurant. This production, this production facility, I should say, is largely dedicated to lager, with a few ales thrown in for good measure but mostly lagers. And they'll expand upon what brought them to this town across from the airport in a minute and expansion plans for what is lovingly referred to as the South Nut. And we're going to talk about the intersection of clean and wild beer with their brewery neighbors, Ron Extract and Amber Watts, who run Garden Path Fermentation, a temple for all things drinkable, from beers to wine, mead, and more. And while there may seem, at least at first glance, little to connect them aside from the larger beer industry, there are actually some very strong ties. Here's our conversation. I've driven a lot of places for lager. The drive-in off of the highway was one of the more scenic, smoke aside, uh, <laughs> that I've been to forever. Um, what attracted you, Will and Mari, to this location when you decided to do South Nut? Well, when we um, decided to do a, a production facility, that's what we were aiming at. We were friends with Skagit Valley Malting, the guy who helped start that, Wayne Carpenter. And he was gung-ho, we need a brewery here at the port, because the port was trying to make sure to include 
uh, agriculture-related products. And that would mean beer. Sure. We use barley, we use hops, um, we use great water because we get our water from the uh, county that has water off the Cascade Mountains. And, um, and then our yeast, well, these guys over here, they developed their yeast from the area. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. But um, Wayne was really the key because he was also on the board at the port of Skagit. And they wanted to really invest in more agriculture-related products because this is a farm community. And there's a lot of farmers here, and the farmers were trying to um, grow things so that during the down season, they would have something to sell. <clears throat> and um, beer barley, uh, they can get a lot more money from beer barley than just feed barley. Okay. And that's where it happened. Also, we have the Wazoo Bread Lab, Washington State University's Bread Lab. They do all this research on seeds. And so they were developing seeds for the area, and they were developing barley seeds. Um, this was a huge growing area in the past for uh, grain, but then I think uh, what happened is the Midwest ended up taking over the grain growing. Bunch of jerks. And so yeah. this area, because we're kind of the same, temperature or temp it's the temperate of England so if you think about England it's a very specific weather uh, setup way different from what's in the Midwest and part of the grain growing in the Midwest is everything is very regulated and did you have more to say about that will well John you know why we moved here a number of reasons you know Mario's kind of an overview of that the port assisted us quite a bit and they did what's called a pad ready. So for a business, yeah. it made sense that we didn't have to come in with so much more capital. Yeah. Just to expand a bit more on the agricultural aspect, this county has a world record in barley yield. So they wanted a brewery to come in. They talked to yeah. you about coming in. Will, from your standpoint and the beers that you've been making you know, for your career, why meet them in the middle? Why come here? You know, you could go anywhere. They want you to come, but you also have to want to come. Um, yeah, I imagine. And once yeah. again, it was largely a business decision as, uh, to, for us to do that. Be, besides the, the barley aspect and the potential, that's what I'm saying. With world record, there's wonderful potential in that. But secondly, as far as the chemistry of the water in particular, this is the softest water I've ever brewed beer with. So as a location to make beer, especially lager beers, which we're most known for, it, you know, it, it, it's just, it just uh, is optimum for that. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about being supported oh, yeah. by who you're working with. Yeah. And I see Don't Amber nodding along as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what, what was the attraction for you two then, Amber and Ron, to... to so we moved up here from Texas, and um, I've our, heard of it. Yeah, it's it's a place. It's a <laughs> um, but our vision was to uh, make beer and wine and cider um, from a place where we could source 99% of our ingredients within 20 miles. 
and um, our initial idea was to actually have a farm where we would make estate beers and we very quickly realized that that was overly ambitious we're not farmers and even if that was i mean we're farmers but we're not like farmer farmers. farmers yeah um but the bold face type exactly, yeah exactly. yeah um but the key to that was having a local maltster that we could work with and so um, we were researching just local maltsters that work with local farmers, and Scatchavelli malting was basically at the top of the list. Um, so that was kind of step one. Um, that was what initially made us look at the valley. The port was also very enthusiastic about us coming up here. Um, but the other kind of key for us is that we can source almost everything, including some of our hops from this valley, but it's especially good for native yeast. Um, we have a temperate climate here, so that means we don't have particularly hot summers. Well, who knows now? Yeah, yeah. yeah seriously. Um, or hard freezes in winter, and it's just a really, really great environment for Saccharomyces. Can, can, yeah, can I, can I ask you, Ron, because if, if having a local maltster was near the top of the list for where you wanted to go, there are a variety of craft maltsters that exist right now. What was it about Skagit Valley that appealed to you as a brewer? Well, we were already really looking at Pacific Northwest more broadly, um, in part because of what Amber was saying about the climate here. Um, we, we really, we wanted to make beer using, and as well as cider and mead and eventually wine, using 100% native yeast. But we also wanted to keep it soft and balanced and approachable and really have it have the fermentation dominated by Saccharomyces and not make things that were aggressively sour or aggressively um, barnyardy or Brett bombs. And we <laughs> felt like a climate where summer stayed reasonably cool would be much more conducive to that because Saccharomyces would thrive in those temperatures and some of the other competing organisms wouldn't to the same extent. So we were already kind of fixated on Pacific Northwest um, though initially, I mean, we thought about where anywhere in the world where we could do this. Um, and we decided that if we were going to stay in the U.S., which ultimately was what we, we decided to do, the Pacific Northwest made a lot of sense. And we favored Washington over Oregon in part because of um, some of the laws here, which were a little bit more friendly towards mm. the combination of things that we wanted to do yeah. and would be a bit more challenging in Oregon um, versus versus here. And then once we kind of started to settle in on Washington, then we looking for a local maltster that we could partner with was what really led us to Skagit Valley Malting. And um, Wayne was uh, definitely a big recruiter for us as well. Um, I met him at Craft Brewers Conference in Philadelphia. He had right, done he a talk. presentation on, uh, on craft malting and we got to chatting afterwards. I had actually reached out to him beforehand by email um, about some of what we wanted to do. And one of the most interesting things that we found in initially meeting with Skagit Valley Malting was that um, in talking about what they were doing and some of the challenges they faced, one of the biggest difficulties for them was the desire for consistency um, with a lot of the brewers that they worked with. Yeah. And um, they, Wayne had said that it was very frustrating for them to, um, you know, that they would come up with something and they couldn't necessarily replicate it on the scale that they were working on. And that was a problem in trying to 
to build relationships with breweries because breweries wanted consistent supply. They wanted to know that when they came up with a recipe, they would be able to replicate it in the future and be able to source malt that would meet the same specifications. And I think it was a little bit surprising to, to him when we, we said that we don't really care about consistency, we care about quality. If you give us something that is totally unique that we'll never be able to get again, but that has like a really interesting flavor profile, we're all about that because we're not trying to replicate what we do. We're trying to make things that are really kind of unique and offer consistency of quality versus um, really strict consistency of presentation. Our products don't have to be the same every time. They just always have to be of the same level of quality. Wait, I just, I just want a one word answer if I can, Mari, from around <laughs> just before, just before. So you said you wanted to, you know, stay in the U.S. Uh, or you decided to stay in the U.S. If you guys were going to go overseas, one word answer, what was the top country on your list? All right, well, two word answers. Um, Portugal was oh. one that we were thinking about because oh, really? we had just spent some time there and oh. fallen in love with it, and Ireland was probably Ireland. the other other one oh, that we were thinking about. Well, that would have been cool. Um, yeah. In part because of the same sort of climate Weather conditions climate. that yeah. exist yeah. here, and also Amber had spent a lot of time in Ireland before and has oh. special love for the place. Oh. Well, what I wanted to yes. say was, um, and I'm sure Will will talk further about it, but you know, the chuckanut beers are very different. We're like on the other spectrum from Garden Path, which is why we make such good partners. I, I, I liter this is literally where I was going with the conversation. <laughs> I, I love that you're so tuned into. So I understand there, there, chuckanut makes the wart that Garden Path uses, um, by and large. Um, Aside from that, though, is there a relationship between the beers? Because, Ron, you're saying, you know, you, you, you don't mind strange, you don't mind, you know, different things. And I'm looking at your list, because I, I took one from, from your place before I came over here, and I'm looking at the list on the wall, and this is, you know, th this is Felix and Oscar. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. That's an odd couple joke for, for the kids. Because um, <laughs> I'm old. Um, but it, what's the relationship? What is the, how, how do two breweries that are neighbors exist beyond the business relationship? Is there, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, let me also input here as far as Wayne's, it, Wayne came from a computer background. So what he developed as far as a malting capability is truly state of the art. It's really using a lot of computerization for control, monitoring, everything like that. So the point being here is you can have malt coming out, out of there that is truly state-of-the-art. Chuckanut Brewery is, uses a lot of computerization. We are at the state-of-the-art as far as what we do, and in particular the word. So I have no problem by being able to develop this word and let Ron and Amber just take it over. So it's really, once again, cutting edge as far as production, whether it's in the wort or the beer. But I think um, what you might be getting at is bit. that um, we, we, we are here, we're all working for a common cause. Great beer. That's our <laughs> common cause, right guys? And so everything we do, we want each other to be successful. So everything we do, we do because we're 
wanting people to really enjoy a great beer. And I mean, there's just, I feel like there's a lot of mutual respect for yeah, what we do. Um, we have a lot of metaphors to describe the way our beers present, but I think the most applicable right now is, you know, your beers are basically like um, a digital recording, like listening to Pet Sounds, the best album in the world, over and over. Wow. Um, you know, it's perfect, and there's depth to it, and it's wonderful every time you have it. It's also the same every time you have yeah, it, which is yeah, also just, wonderful. Yeah. And our beer is like watching Brian Wilson. I, I was going to say, I, did, I didn't think Brian Wilson was going to come up in this podcast, but yet here we are. I don't know. That's uh, whoever had it on their bingo card. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You've made it to the boss level. Yeah. yeah. So part of our thing is that we have an issue working with, uh, right now, I mean, we do use Scotch Valley malting every once in a while while we'll use their malt but because of the somewhat inconsistency and I hate to say that because they're our neighbors and we love them but again it's hard for us to do the kind of beers we do with their malt and we're waiting you know and they're always giving us a call and we're always saying well let's give it a try and so we are you know helping them in whatever way we can but because we do very specific recipes uh, for us, we need the consistency. We need to have it be a certain way in order to get the consistent beers that we make. Yeah. Um, so everyone here at the port, we really gather around each other. We have a bakery. We actually have a mill that um, mills the grain from uh, the farmers around here have grown. Um, what else do we have? Uh, flour. We have oh, the King, King Arthur. Arthur. Oh, I've Flower. heard of them. Yeah. yeah, they have a school where they they teach baking, but they are in the same building as our Washington State University's bread lab, where there's they design the grains. There's You're, a butcher from the there's local a micro, meats. Yeah. As much as as much as I love, yeah, I'm sorry that we only have it's the, right. the, the oh, four mics and five yeah, of us. So yeah, a butcher. Like a craft meat producer just yeah. opened. Yeah. Um, all right, hang on. Craft. Right, can can we just talk about the word then for a second? If we're going to start talking about what constitutes craft meat as opposed to like just an old school butcher. Oh, I don't know. It That's, is like an old school. Okay. It is. It is. Um, right. But it's not a large group. Yes. It's actually okay. a co-op. Mm -hmm. It's yep. several farmers in the three uh, counties around here okay sorry i'm drinking your fest beer and i feel like i just got feisty where i'm yeah. like okay <laughs> like craft butcher you know it's the, the the word and and granted i have a book that has craft in the title um uh, twice yeah, uh twice um but you know when dunkin donuts started selling handcrafted lattes i was like yeah. all right like yeah, are, fair like, enough. Really, are we words kind of yeah often lose meaning over time but local meats yeah local but, meats local meats yeah but so much of what if we, even if we take that out of it, what the two breweries are doing is special in the beer world because you know there are the mass-produced lagers, they are the the, the, the larger ones, um, and then obviously uh, what, what you all are doing with homegrown yeast, uh, yeast that is native to here, it, beers that cannot be re replicated anywhere else. There is a craft to it. Um, and sort of then going back to that relationship then of coming at it from different angles, though, at the end of the day, there's got to be some sort of symbiosis of 
the beers may taste wildly different, but yeah, the, the but symbiosis it's still a good is, beer. Yeah. The symbiosis is the love of beer. Yeah. The love of beer. Yeah. You can't be all things to all people, and fortunately, the world of beer is so diverse, so broad, and and that's what we're really addressing here. And there's no way that we'd want to do what Ron and Amber does. Uh, uh, similarly, they they can't do what we do no. because we have a certain focus. It's like saying, well, why why can't all foods be be barbecues or Asian food or something? That's absurd. The beauty of beer is it's so broad. We we've talked a lot about tourism and why people come here, and I I can't imagine that anybody who visits this area for the first time, at least, doesn't hit both of your places at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. We definitely send people and we do this way. Yeah, as well. we do the same. Yeah. Like they come here and we say, well, did you go down to Garden Path or did you go over to the bakery? Usually that's, or did you yeah. see the that we have the bread lab down there? Yeah. Because some of the people are university students or whatever. You know. But very, very much to what Will and, and Mari and Amber were all saying is that I think that we're, we've, we've all thought quite a lot about what we're doing and I think we, we respect how much um, each of us has has thought about it and having approaching it from totally different angles we were all um, very much grounded in kind of European brewing traditions different yeah. European yeah. traditions right. yeah but um, coming from a rich history within the brewing world and exploring different sides there's a saying that it takes a lot of a lot of good beer to make good wine. I'd say it takes a lot of good <laughs> lager to make good uh, <laughs> farmhouse ales too. Um, and you know, every time I go to like a mixed fermentation festival or, or like a wild beer festival or something like that, the brewers in, in the back are always like, all right, where's the Pilsner? You know, that's- A hundred percent. I was yeah, telling that I mean, story we, yesterday. We, we yeah. all drink a lot of we, we, uh, Pilsner, a lot of, of lagers, a lot of clean beer. And Will's right that we couldn't do what they do, but fortunately we don't have to because they do. So, um, you know, why would we want to do the same thing yeah. that, the, that the folks um, less than half a mile up the road are doing? I think exactly. doing something that's different that presents a fresh perspective. I mean, I, I feel like when somebody opens a brewery and it's like, what are you going to make? Well, I'm going to make exactly the same range as the people up the road Ooh. and see if I can eat into some of their sales. You're, you're contributing something negative to the world. All you're doing is diluting what's already there. Yeah. You're a negative force at that point. Uh, if you're going to create something in the world, create something that wouldn't exist if you hadn't made it. Yeah. And I, that's you know, kind of what we're trying so, to do So here. it's your voice that's been on my shoulder screaming that for the last uh, uh, the among others perhaps <laughs> alright so with that in mind though because when I travel around I, I try to go to as many breweries as I can especially if they're close together given that these two locations and, and the beers that you're making are so different walk me through how somebody who could start here who understands what it, maybe a Kolsch is or at least what a Pilsner is and then they walk into your place Amber and Ron and they're like I I I don't know these words we have a Pilsner okay it's not ours okay <laughs> but you wouldn't necessarily go to their place to drink the Pilsner you right. would want to drink but would that person but but maybe that different. person would though well i mean we it's if you've been to our place, you see I, that we have briefly, you're but I enjoyed menu, it. So. Yeah, no, I was yeah. there. I um, have notes. Yeah, we have a very broad guest selection. If what we do is really intimidating, but we get the people who come in and say their favorite beer is Coors Banquet, and I don't know if they're trying to screw with us or they're 
just being honest. I drink banquet. I got no problem with banquet. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ron leaving. Um, um, yeah. But what we do is try to find a middle ground and just kind of set up a flavor profile for them, tell them that there might be a little bit of tartness. It might not be exactly what they expect from a beer, but the other advice that I like to give someone who's trying a mixed fermentation beer for the first time is unsure about the category is that there's kind of a three sip rule if you're trying something different. Um, It usually takes three sips to adjust your palate to whatever you're drinking. And if it's, kind of weird on the first sip, the third or fourth sip may um, be something really beautiful for you. So um, people who just, you know, go through like half an ounce taster to try to find something to order may not have the best experience, but someone who is willing to sit down and be patient with a beer. um, We've converted a lot of people that way. Have you? Yeah. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Because... I mean, I'm just looking through the menu again, and I was, I was, I was looking for like the, you know, like the easy joke of like, sure, yeah, the the Coors Banquet drinker who, you know, is going to go drink your boysenberry and rhubarb, like that kind of thing. Although probably because yeah. like fruit actually, fruit, oh, is that yeah. fruit brings people in because they're familiar with what a boysenberry tastes like. Yeah. Um, but we usually we don't right now. We usually have a table beer on. Yeah. Um, Ron we, wants to open a beer. Yeah, way, Ron would like to open our table beer. Um, Perfect. This is called the Easygoing Drink, and this is kind of one of our standard beers. This this edition is a little bit different because we used our Cool Ship to make okay. it. It's not oh, a spontaneous cool beer. Uh-huh. Um, it was Cool Shipped overnight and then pitched with our house yeast. Oh. But um, this is the beer that we think is kind of just our approachable... Um, you're unfamiliar with mixed fermentation. This is a starting point to get a foothold beer. That's awesome. Yeah. Because... It, I love that in the Belgian tradition in spontaneous uh, that that table beer is the session beer mm. and Pilsner is the session beer as well in, in sort of that other way. Um, and then I guess is another way that sort of brings you together is that I, there are. I, I'd know. actually say a Helles or a Kolsch are more. Okay. Because a Pilsner does have the bitterness. Okay. Whereas a Helles or a Kolsch, they are more of a mild uh, finish on those beers you, you you've drank with me i yeah. imperial stouts are session beers um <laughs> it's you know as long as the company is great and it always is and is there an uber yeah um is that's the that that's sort of the big thing yes mark what i wanted to say too was how the these beers start is they order the um, you, barley from Skagit Valley. It comes to us. Our brewers, uh, you know, start in the mill, mash it out, send it to the kettle, cook it up. I don't think we add any hops. Is that correct? No, we- yeah, we add hops. You add the hops. We don't. No, uh, we do. Oh, we do a certain amount. Yeah. Okay. So we do a certain amount of the hops. Then um, the Garden Path Brewer will come over with the truck that has these big stainless tanks in it. They run a hose over to the kettle and it gets put into these tanks. He then drives it like two blocks down the road and then 
Amber, what happens, or Ron, right. what happens Your, your definition of blocks as somebody who lives in a city is not, it's that's not, not it, accurate. Not that's two. not, yeah. But it's, it, it's still, it's less. Feels like two. When I, left, when I left Garden Path to come here, because I, 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 my GPS wasn't working, so I said, do I turn left or right to go there? And Ron goes, it's just, you make a left and it's the next building down. And I'm thinking it like, is. oh, it's, it, it is. It is, yeah. but it is a distance. Like it was, I, I would have melted had I been walking between the two uh, because I'm not in great shape. But like that's the, you know, that's neither here nor there. Ron, you were going to jump oh, in. Then yeah, that's, that's so then, pretty accurate. So then we would bring it back and either add our house yeast or it, there, the process can go in a number of different directions from there because um, we might bring back the wort hot or some of it hot and let it sit overnight in our cool ship and become mm. inoculated with airborne yeast. We may bring it all back at fermentation temperature and immediately transfer it to an open uh, top oak fooder, which is like a big oak vat, and add our house yeast and let it ferment in there. So it really kind of depends on what we're doing. So the work, work production is the beginning of the process, but then it can go in a lot of different directions from there. Um, so sorry, how does this one look? Oops. So the one yeah. that we're tasting now, this was this is a variation on a beer and we do a lot of kind of variations on themes knowing that we can't really ever recreate the same thing twice. We embrace that and we do different editions of products where it's intentionally exploring variations of themes and kind of adding new chapters to the ongoing life story of, of a product. Um, in this case, this was a batch that we did um, of uh, our Grisette, our take on a grisette, which is a Belgian-style table beer, basically, that tends to use some raw grains, not aggressively hopped, really approachable. And um, we, in this case, we decided to split the batch and let half of it sit in our cool ship overnight um, and then uh, pitch it with our house yeast in the morning. So it was a combination of airborne inoculation and house yeast for this. And we did it in part because we had a visiting brewer um, who was with us at the time and um, we, we felt like it would be kind of fun to break out the cool ship and we had the right weather conditions so it was somewhat impromptu that we we did this uh it was uh jeffers richardson who used to be the in, head of the barrel program firestone walker yeah. and now among other things teaches a course at uh south puget sound community college he was teaching a brewing oh. course and came with uh a camera to do a visit to Garden Path and to, nice. to do a lecture from there. So we're like, oh, we're... That we're, man you know, is living his camera, best retirement. Cool Have some fun. Yeah. But I think the thing about this beer is that in some ways it's actually helpful with our products to have people that don't go in with too much in the way of expectations. I'd say that a lot of beer is largely an acquired taste, but you have people in the beer world now that really have acquired tastes and want to put things into very particular boxes and we have a lot of people that come into our tasting room and they'll say things like oh here you guys make some great sours and i really don't use that word in anything that we brew and i certainly don't use it as a noun um what's the word that you prefer i the word that i prefer is um native yeast fermentation or you know that, that what we make it's what we make are Skagitonian ales we're not trying to replicate anything that came before us we're not trying to replicate anything from any other part of the world to make German beer English beer or Belgian beer we're trying to make things that speak to where we are and that are informed by what's come before informed by what others do but that are distinctive to this region and I think when people come in with the trying to fit things into boxes 
it's not going to work so well for us because that's not what we're trying to create. We're trying to create things that are soft and balanced. And if you want something that's so sour that it's going to melt the enamel off your teeth, that's not what we do and that's not what we're trying to do. But at the same time, you know, people that love sours or sour beers, they're probably going to say, oh, I thought this was supposed to be sour. It doesn't taste that way to me. But then people that are used to drinking Pilsner might taste this and they'll be like, this kind of tastes like a sour. So, uh, we, you know, we get both sides of that. And what we want to make, I mean, we're in an agricultural community. We want to make beer that farmers like to drink that's refreshing that you can drink after a hard day's work that's and that's just going to taste good and it's going to be balanced and it may defy categorization but that it doesn't you don't need to have studied beer for 15 years to be able to appreciate can, can, can i did you want to jump in on that um, yeah i kind of wanted to jump in and just say like if the Coors banquet drinker came in and yeah. gave them this beer i would say that there's a little bit of tartness but not sour um, and that it is light and it's balanced and it's just a refreshing kind of everyday drinking beer. But there are people who walk into breweries these days, and I think this is probably applicable to both breweries, but I'll start with, with, with the word sour first, where sours and hazies right now are, are, have, have captured the zeitgeist. And so there's a lot of people who think they know what they want in a sour because it appeals to their palate. And I think that that's the enamel ripping uh, stuff that you were talking about, Ron. So, for the, you know, the craft drinker that comes in expecting their version of sour, you're not doing that. And and is that a tough? Does that become a tough sell, as well? I mean, it can, um, especially when people come in expecting exactly what we did at our previous brewery. Um, okay. That has happened. We were, um, and uh, our former head brewer, our first head brewer, was also at another uh, pretty high-profile mixed fermentation brewery. We actually, early on, had someone who flew into this airport in a private plane and brought some of his friends to taste our beer because he expected it to be exactly like what we did before. And like a customer? Yeah. Um, they're well, rich I, people with private planes. I was, 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 was going to say, I'm available to be a friend. <laughs> but he was very disappointed because that's not what we were doing. Um, but I he think... He cry into a pile of money, I guess. Like yeah, that's, yeah, I know. He's, I think he's going to be okay yeah. um, in the long run. You're but, right, bro. Yeah. You know, I, part of the that's part of the reason that we carry other products. Um, you know, we always have something that's going to make everyone happy. Um, but what we do does defy expectation, and it takes something of an open mind to you know order this and not have the enamel ripped off your teeth, and just have something that you could sit in a hammock and enjoy. You know, two pints of. Um, do you have a thought? Yeah, I think it goes kind of back to some of what I was saying before, too, about people just wanting to put things in boxes. And oh. there's yeah. it's very popular at this point to use rating systems like Untapped um, or various others that, that, that people use. And that's all about, like, how does this fit within a style? How does this fit within predetermined parameters? And even a lot of competitions, things like GABF or other competitions that are all style-based, it's about making something that fits 
predefined parameters. And um, yeah, yeah, these, I these mean, guys yeah, just for, for really, really us, well. that's and, our thing <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but if you make things that don't fit predefined parameters that are that are working to kind of create new categories, then it could be a lot more challenging because mm -hmm. people have to, on some level, it's interesting because they have to on certain levels if they want to um, really subject it to that type of deep analysis. They have to think a little bit harder about it. They have to think about where it's coming from and yeah. what it's meant to be and really kind of step outside of their comfort zone. But on the other hand, we do also try to make things, as I said before, that you can just sort of drink and appreciate. And I've got one of the other samples that I have here is actually a style called, uh, a, inspired by a style called a graph, which is a hybrid of a, a beer and a cider. And I think the interesting thing about that is that you can put it in somebody's glass and if they're expecting it to be cider, they'll think it's cider. If they're <laughs> expecting it to be beer, they'll think it's beer. You can just finish the glass and then ask them, like, what did you just drink? So it's Schrodinger's and beverage. They, they might yeah, not know. Is... Right. If, if they didn't want to think about it, if they were just like, oh, that tastes good. It's balanced. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but if you think about, well, what is it? Then it starts to hurt your brain because you're like, I don't actually know what it was. That's kind of weird. Um, but Usually the hurt the brain thing comes the next day. <laughs> yeah. not, not as much with ours. That's I feel like, you know, mixed fermentation and, and having things that ferment super dry and that have live yeast in them help. But yeah. this is also only only 6.2%. Right. Well, we should, so, yeah, we should open yeah, it if I you want. to try it. Yeah, Mara, jump in here. That Please because do. actually you might be suffering that with your beers, but we have suffered it with our beers. Good, because that was going to be my beers, question. Yeah. You know, when we started out, well, we started out in 1984 and we were making lager beers, but that's a different <laughs> story. When we started Chuckanut, though, and we did, um, uh, that was in 2008, we came back from Europe and we had been making beers in Europe and they were very popular. And we came back here and all people wanted was an IPA. Uh, if you don't have an IPA, then I don't want to stay here. And they would walk out the, the door, well. even though we were uh, brewing world-class European-style lagers and ales. So for us, even this, those styles of beer that we make, yeah. is uh, it was difficult. I mean, we'll was heartbroken when people <laughs> wouldn't try our lager beers. Well, I remember were, were you heartbroken? Not really. You oh. know, that's a world of beer, and that's a world of of people and the diversity there. And, um, you know, understanding, you know, to me, that's a science of taste, a science of flavor, individual individuality within that. Uh, I'm going to talk about something as far as a couple, three weeks ago, I was reading an article, and the point being here, due to genetic makeup, something like 20 to 25% of the world's population cannot taste bitter. Hmm. Bitter. IBU consideration. That's yeah. a bizarre concept, but it gives you consideration in the world of flavor. Now, the other thing I want to go back as far as Ron was talking about, as far as classifying European or whatever, yes, it's largely somewhat obviously Germanic as far as what we do with the beer styles. We make Kolsch, we make uh, Helles and Pilsner. I don't give a damn if we're in Antarctica, Germany, Pacific Northwest, or wherever. It's the science of making beer. 
that's the objectivity that we really strive for to make the best beers we can within these styles. What is, what is the most challenging beer you make? To me, the most challenging is a techni technologically demanding kind of beer. In other words, first of all, you need drinkability, drinkability. Did I say that? You gotta be able to, once you finish that beer, you wanna say, oh, I'd like other. So it gets to a point of self-discipline that you do not drink more. Yeah. That's the intent of our style, whether it's a very light beer, a Chuck Light, a Colch, going all the way up to a Bach beer, a Bach beer. Now, I would suggest that, uh, or submit that the Bach beers, the higher gravity beers, are more difficult because of the complexity within them, the time involved, what you have to address over and above the base, let's say a Colch, Pilsner, Hellas, whatever. Because what happens is once you start to in, get into areas of fermentation with higher gravity, then there's certain considerations that come into play besides the time. So the more involved type of alcoholic content, Bach, Doppelbach, or what, and by the way, Chuckana is, is expanding, and what I'm excited about is we're going to be doing an Eitzenbach. That means that you have to have refrigeration to an extent that it goes down to about 20, 25 degrees Fahrenheit, where you, you basically concentrate that ethanol high, high beer kind of content and go from there. But yeah. make it drinkable. Make it drinkable. All right. So because <laughs> you were talking before about the benefit of this area where you're not getting those hard winter freezes where obviously you need, you need that for, for an ice box. Uh, oh, that's absolutely. Yeah, 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 no, I was, I was no. going to say that. Um, we, <laughs> Okay, let me let me. I, I was at a festival yesterday where yeah. there was a guy who was making the case that gruets need to be the next big thing. What? Ha what uh, is gruet? Like a gruet. What is a gruet? I don't the know. Beer without hops, essentially. Oh, oh. I see. Um, well, they can't, people can't even take a Hellas or a Kolsch. Those have hops, I, but they're well, only. And and I am and I am firmly I in the camp where Rauch beer um, should be taking over the world, but it's not. <laughs> and I'm glad that both of your breweries have it. Um, is is there a demand for Icebox these days, or no, is this just something you want to make? No, because it can't be made properly. Okay. But what we're going to do is, what I'm saying it, it suggests an isolation of a tank, a fermenter conditioning tank that you can actually address such extreme conditions in order to do it that's well, not that's not i in have place. to say we you know it's not going to take over the world no. he, the reason he wants to do it is because it's a very challenging beer to make as a brewer if you're technical technologically inclined like will is yeah. he wants to try techniques um on beers so yeah. he's coming from actually um, again, uh, the opposite side of the spectrum because Chuckanut looks at very technical things yeah. like refrigeration. Do you guys have refrigeration? No. So you and, see, and we have winter, <laughs> and, and it's like our 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 cooling, our temp fermentation, and cold conditioning is down to a decimal of a degree Fahrenheit. What? That's what we watch. When we crash our beer, we don't crash it. We gently bring it down to where it can rest. And we're very gentle on the beer. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, that's the difference. But 
Um, no, Icebox isn't going to take over the world. No, it's absurd. But John asked me what's <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Yeah. What can you do with an icebox round? Well, oh, we there you go. Well, if we have a hard freeze, then we might make one. Uh, oh, we, there you we go. Make a, <laughs> we make a beer uh, that we yeah. call the Skagitonian Lager Ale, which um, we noticed that our house culture will ferment down into pretty low temperature ranges, down into the 40s. Oh. So in the winter, when we have cooler temperatures, we make a, uh, a beer using our house culture that we intentionally ferment colder and then age outdoors in oak barrels through the winter. So if it freezes, then maybe we'll make an ice box. But um, <laughs> that, that would be kind of our method. But I'll, I'll say that one thing that, uh, a point that Will touched on that I, I also would like to is um, that drinkability. And I think the appreciation for subtlety, for nuance, it's something yes. that we have in common, that we both value that drinkability, that we both value making things mm -hmm. that are really approachable and that make you want another glass when you finish the first one. That's what we strive for, it's what they strive for. And I think it's something that hurts us both when it comes to things like um, like, like beer festivals or like yes. bottle shares, where what stands out in that type of environment is something that's the most intense, where it's like whatever has, packs the biggest punch that's what people get excited about when you're only drinking half an ounce of <laughs> 75 different things. But um, do you want to drink a whole glass of that? Exactly. I don't think so. And exactly. I want to make things that I want to drink a whole glass of. For me, um, I we went to 500 mil bottles and from 750 uh, in part because of a lot of pressure from some of our distributors that 750 mil bottles were, were not perceived as, as popular. But for most of our beers, I'm not really sure that 500 mils is an appropriate serving size. So we also do uh, magnums, 1.5 liter magnums, oh. which are, you know, especially if you're going to share it, I think beer is something that's meant to be shared and to have one and a half liters that you actually get to know it through the course of a meal. Have a couple of glasses, have a refill and share it with somebody rather than just splitting a 500 mil bottle 10 ways and saying, okay, what's next? That's not really the way that our, our products are meant to be consumed. Yeah, and I think that's true of both of us. Yeah, no, you've got, you've got a point for sure. I'm starting to get mindful of time here. Um, and I have about a, a, a dozen more questions that I want to ask, but I'm going to do something on the fly because we're here at South Nut uh, and we have uh, folks who are watching us uh, do this, which is kind of, kind of awkward. Uh, but Josh Hake is here. He's a friend of the show. Yes. Uh, Josh, there's there's a mic. Do, do you want to ask a question? Oh. I'll think of one. Oh. Okay. Yeah. But like, this is the time to think of one. <laughs> like this is where I this is where I've worked it into the show. All right. You need. You, do you need a minute? I need a minute. All right. Yeah. Uh, quickly. You, you, you need a minute. Um, one of the reasons that I came out to the Pacific Northwest this time of year uh, was because Jeff Allworth, uh, good friend, writer, etc. Um, tall man uh, has been trying to get me to come out in mid-September because fresh, fresh hop beers are yeah. starting to hit and he says you know you can't experience fresh hop unless you're here in this area and so I've been here for two days now maybe three I was in Canada this morning um, and so I show up at, at, at uh, Amber and Ron's place and I see oh the wet hop ship this is exciting this is this. I'm gonna drink a. I'm, I'm gonna drink a wet hop beer, and I'm drinking. And I was like, ah, I'm a little confused here. And then Ron set me straight that this is last year's because of course it is because this is how this this is how you do it. Um, 
it has to play for, for, for you all as well that this is hop harvest time. We don't and... do wet hop. We okay. do fest. Okay. We like to celebrate. <laughs> okay. And we do it with our fest beers. So uh, some years we do a fest beer, which is the blonde fest beer, October fest beer. But some years we do the old fest, and that's the Merzen style, which we don't do every year. Like this year, we didn't have the tanks for that since we're in, we're waiting to put in our other system. No, no, it's oh. because we don't have tanks. Oh, okay. We used to have two breweries, remember? North Nut, right. South Nut. Right. So North Nut is in storage right now. Okay. So we're only working with our South Nut Brewery, but that's why we're doing the expansion. When you, when you uh, closed Bellingham, you just took the brewery and just put it in storage. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so we are doing the expansion. Yeah. And North Nut will go into the north side of the South Nut Brewery. Did did you did was yeah. was that a completely was did that just happen happily or did you have yeah. to? It was a very oh. intended approach because yeah. that it's a ten barrel system, which is optimum for the best beer creation. Let me put it that way. Okay. So you can get too small. To a nano brewing type of thing, there are issues. If you get too large, you get out of the scope of control. Okay. So the idea here is to focus in on a technical, techni- technical demands and a tin barrel and what that's done. By the way, most of the awards that Chuck and it has done is with that tin barrel system. So we're going to be putting that back in, and we're going to do quite well. Bring bring some hardware well, home. Well, what that allows us is for more options on our beers because. Um, you know, our most popular beer, the um, Pilsner and the Kolsch, they take up a lot of our tank space. And it only allows us to use the 20 barrels for the one-offs like the Rauch or the Dunkel or the Chucklight or the Helles or the Vienna or New World. Um, or we have a Cascadia Common now. But when we do those, we have to do them in a 20 barrel. And so it takes us a while to get through those beers. We prefer to have the 10 barrel. That way we'll go very quickly through the beers and we'll be able to do a lot more variety. And and let me also, once again, it's an engineering issue to me. So you can get too small and too large and to optimize it, that's what our approach will be. So Ron, because I just want to stay with the hops for just a second. Um, you were telling me before we started that you have a farm that you go to that you use. Um, yeah, it's our, our good friends, uh, Amy and Byron at uh, Hop Skagit. They, um, it's actually a multi-generational farm. They planted their first hops about a week after we opened. Um, we hadn't met them yet at the time, but we did meet them shortly thereafter and uh, developed a, a really close friendship. And working relationship their first couple of years, we went and helped them harvest uh, all of their hops and brought them back to make the beer that we call the wet hop ship, which is kind of an unusual process where we split up the batch, we make the wort over here, and then bring it back to Garden Path in two 350-gallon stainless steel IBC totes. One of them we bring back at basically room temperature, fermentation temperature, and we send that into an open fooder, big open uh, oak tank with our house yeast, start the fermentation going. And then the other half of the wort we bring back to our place hot 
and let it sit in our cool ship overnight on the fresh hops. So it's actually on, sitting on the hops for about 12 hours, starting out very close to boiling and then gradually cooling down overnight. And then we add the, the wort once it's cooled down to that active fermentation um, where we will have captured some airborne yeast while it cools uh, through the use of the cool ship. But there's so much active yeast in that active fermentation that it's going to overpower anything that we captured from the air. And the cool ship in that instance is functioning more like kind of an overnight hop back. So it's kind of a, cool. a unique procedure. The reason that we developed that is because we, when we first met Amy and Byron and we wanted to harvest some hops and make a fresh hop beer, we talked to Will about putting the hops in the kettle here, and he was not happy about that idea. So um, <laughs> we had to come up with Weird. another solution. Weird. And yeah. uh, <laughs> um, so we, we did, and our solution was putting them in the cool ship. And what I love about this beer is that it takes it takes its time. We never release it, obviously, during fresh hop season because it is a mixed fermentation beer. We naturally condition it. Um, so this, or I guess 2021's uh, wet hop ship was released in July. So we were either the very last fresh hop beer of 2021 or the very first one of 2022, however you would like to see it. We actually haven't released 2020s yet um, just because it went through some... It, it had a journey, and so um, 2020s is going to actually be released under a different name. But uh, it, you know, it takes its time, and I like how it kind of challenges the idea of what a fresh hop beer can be because there's this race in Washington yeah. to get the first one out, um, and they there's this idea that a fresh hop beer just the expiration date is like the day after it's released, right? And um, whenever we find a bottle of uh, 2018 fresh hop out in the wild it's better than it ever was it's a fresh hop beer that ages yeah. phenomenally because because it's naturally conditioned because of the native yeast it's not something that you expect but i like to find those expectations it's a lot of fun i love it all right josh hey you ready I really like no 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 it's a it's a podcast all right I really like just the personal aspect of John's podcast and getting to know each of you as individuals. So that's one of the things I really love about listening to him. One of the questions I have is, what is what has beer taught you about life? What's a life lesson you've learned over the course of your history, either making beer, brewing beer, hell, like me, drinking beer? That's a really good question. It's a really good question, and I'm kind of mad at you right now for it because I didn't come up with it first. Um, no, I still love you, Joe. That's <laughs> thanks, thanks, pal. So, fifty words or less. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. This is a timed show now. Yeah, I mean, we've been drinking, and the restrooms are far away. So, yes. Beer is life, quite literally. I mean, it's 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 a living process, and I when I give tours at, at Garden Path, I think I often sort of anthropomorphize the process a bit and talk about our community, talk about our relationship with our microbes, but it, we do see it as very much a relationship and sometimes things go in directions that you don't expect and not everything's the same, not everyone's the same, things are always changing. But I think that's the thing that's exciting for me is like constantly fa facing new challenges. So, Amber? Um, I think it's taught me patience in a way that um, is a little unexpected, especially with our process. Um, sometimes we have to wait, like, you know, 
wet hop 2020 we have to wait two years before a beer is ready but waiting that two years turns it into something much more beautiful than it would have been if we felt the pressure of time to get it out there i have a hard time answering that <laughs> and i'm usually a very philosophical person <laughs> But I think it's way too deep for me at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I may have to answer you that. I may have to answer that question in like after I've thought about it for a month. <laughs> no, no it's parallel. Waiting. It's parallel with life. It's yeah. parallel with life. You make beer, and as you go, uh, like life. What happens, and and what I was thinking of is I've asked been asked as far as a brewer and capability. And a good brewer knows what happens when things go bad, when bad. So you adjust, that's like a life lesson. So anybody can sit there and be a monkey and push buttons, but things don't always go that way. And you have to recognize that and accept that, that accept that. And in the brewing scheme, it's a similar thing. You don't just sit around and push buttons and understand that. Things will happen, and so you have to adjust accordingly. And by the way, once again, a good brewer knows what happens when things go bad, not when things are going common. Yeah. I love it. Um, I just have to interject. Oh, no, okay. That, I, was, I, was, I was waiting for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a deep thing, and I wanted to say that just recently we have decided that life is like baseball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't Hopefully, yet thought about how life is like beer. Okay. As long as your life in baseball is not the Yankees after the All-Star break, <laughs> I think you're fine. That's top that's topical humor for everybody. For some folks yeah, no, it's uh, it's believe me, this is my reality these days. It's uh it, it it's 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 not great. Um Thank you so much to the four of you for doing this, Amber and Ron and Mari and Will. Uh, it, it, it's wonderful to visit your places and to drink beer with you and to, to, to be here um, in, in, in northern Washington and, and, and just hanging out. So, uh, and thanks to Josh Hake for, for asking a great question. Uh, thanks for hosting. Yes. And I do want to say thank you, Village Books, for coming And thanks for Village books, books as well. Despite I know. the traffic. We, yeah. <laughs> We'll yeah. talk about it when, when, once we're done, but, uh, but yeah. Um, thanks so much. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Yeah. Thank you, John. Okay. I was visiting the brewery as part of a tour for the Craft Brewery Cookbook. It's on sale now where books are sold, so get a copy today. All About Beer is back online. Go to allaboutbeer.com to catch up with great content. And you can keep in touch with me. Questions, comments, guest suggestions, email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Of course, All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you the show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, today's episode is sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Dragon's Milk began as a single barrel experiment over 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged in bourbon barrels, it has rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla that make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or binging the latest season of Game of Thrones, share a legend with Dragon's Milk today. 
Learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for the show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. Beer.